20 minutes a day, 365 days a year. This is the Pack a Day Podcast. Sunday, and no football, which stinks. We also don't have Tyler, Mike, or Chris, so you are stuck with myself. I am Jacob Westendorf, joining you here on the first Sunday without Packers football to look forward to since August. That is incredible and sad and depressing and all that's right. I guess if you care about the Pro Bowl, then maybe that's something that could you could be interested in, but otherwise... Yeah, no Packers football for the next several months, and um, now we're doing it even with a different group, so we got a hodgepodge going here. I'm joined by Paul Brettel. Back-to-back days for Paul. He was on yesterday with Jason Perrone, so either the listeners are gluttons for punishment or Paul's a celebrity, and I just didn't know it just yet. So, Paul, what uh, what are you doing to pass the time now that football season's over? I don't know. It's uh, honestly not much so far. have been watching some more Bucks basketball and Badgers basketball, but as we all know, that just that just isn't quite the same. And I was actually writing something up before we got on here, and it's going to post on today, Sunday, and I was very surprised that it's only been a week. That's what I could think about. It seems like it's already been a much longer time has passed between the NFC Championship game and where we are now. So hopefully things pick up before and speed up the process. Yeah, it does feel that way. I mean, the NFL does a pretty nice job of having one event per month and kind of making it that 24-7, 365 event like they want it to be. But, yeah, it's been it's been a rough week. Just the, the process of trying to process that the season is over, losing when you get to that point. Obviously, I mean, I prefer the way this season went to the way the last two went. No question about that. Absolutely. But. Uh, yeah, you mentioned, I mean, watching more basketball. I'm a fan of the Dallas Mavericks. They're okay. They're not nearly as good as the Milwaukee Bucks. And I also root for the Wisconsin Badgers college basketball team, and they are not good. So, uh, yeah, it is just not the same. Uh, I, I love sports. I often say, well, like, right now in the background, I have the Lakers and the Sixers NBA showcase for Saturday on the TV and I don't even like either one of these teams. I don't. Uh, I actually hate the Lakers and the Sixers. They're two of my least favorite teams in the sport. But I often say bad sports are better than no sports. But there is nothing like the NFL and the thrill that Packers football provides. So eventually, you know, we'll get into baseball and all that sort of stuff when that time hits. But the NFL is number one. There's no question about that at this point. Um, Paul. Our topic for the day is the unsung heroes of the team. And I think it's kind of strange because we were talking before the show and you mentioned like, well, could Alan Lazard be somebody who qualifies? And typically the answer to that question would be yes. But then by the end of the year, he wasn't really all that unsung because he was the team's number two wide receiver and looks to be, at least at this point, the only other non-Devante Adams wide receiver to be a roster lock for 2020. Yeah, absolutely. He came out of nowhere, and the Packers needed every little bit of production that he could provide for them. Uh, he became he clearly had the trust of Aaron Rodgers. We go back to that Monday night game against Detroit, his coming out party, and one of the um, things that stands out in my mind is after the game, you know, you saw throughout the week Rodgers 
talking over to LaFleur on the sidelines saying, you know, something along the lines of give, give the kid a chance. And uh, he stepped up in a big moment. And from that moment on, his trust with Rodgers just continued to develop. He became a big weapon for the Packers on third down. And he was just, overall, he was just reliable, which is what the receiving core Rodgers, that passing game, was. it's a, exactly what they needed. And he provided it. And as you said, he's really the only lock coming back next year uh, with Devontae. Yeah, and, and they're traits that translate. Those are kind of the things as we get into the draft stuff more and more. Uh, we'll be talking about things like that. You know, what are some traits that translate? So, for example, if you're a quarterback in college football, you know, running around all over the place, running past guys and throwing the ball across your body into the middle, yeah, the result is great, but that's not a trait that translates into the NFL. Uh, Alan Lazard has some things that translate into the NFL. He became a more polished route runner as the season went along. He's not the fastest player. So you have to make contested catches, and I thought he did that for a vast majority of the season. You mentioned the first game against Detroit. I think of the second one, his touchdown that tied the game uh, in the game that clinched a first-round bye for the Packers. So I think that he is in a very good position. Stories like that are one of the very many reasons that we love sports. So that was cool to see. And like you said, he was really the only consistent player Outside of it, I mean, Geronimo Allison, Jake Kumro, you know, we heard about some of these guys, but it never really became a big deal. Those guys never really emerged as consistent contributors on a team that they had plenty of opportunity to do those kinds of things. So you heard Brian Gutekunst in his uh, season wrap-up press conference say that that's a position that they'll look to add. They said they look to add an explosive offensive player at the deadline. Whatever that means, we'll never really know. He didn't like the price tags, and I understand that. So I say all that to say we were supposed to talk about Unsung Heroes, and really the two became kind of obvious. So, I mean, yes, they're unsung, but they became big contributors toward the end of the season. And the first big one is Jared Veld here, the right tackle that Brian Gutekunst claimed on waivers shortly after Alex Light was an absolute disaster against the 49ers the first time the two teams met in late November. Uh, he Veldhier came in and he didn't get his first uh, taste of action until the last game of the regular season in Detroit when Brian Bulaga left the game with a concussion. And honestly, the biggest compliment I can give Veldhier is he ended up starting the next the playoff game against Seattle as well. And in both of those games, I never noticed him. And typically, if you're an offensive lineman, that's like the old cliche is you don't want to be noticed. Uh, he had one rough play in the running game against Seattle, but other than that, I thought he was very good. He was a nice pickup, and really, I mean, if you look at the recent past of the Packers specifically, and really this is probably the case for any team, but the recent past of the Packers, if one of Bakhtiari or Balaga got hurt, it's a dumpster fire. I mean, the lasting image in my head is the year, I think it was 2015, and they were playing, it was, because they were playing in Arizona. It was a regular season game. And they ended up losing that game by 30 points. And by the end of the game, Don Barclay was the left tackle and Josh Walker was the right tackle. And every time Rodgers dropped back to pass, you just prayed that he didn't die. And that was kind of what it felt like when Alex Light was in the game. With all due respect, 
He's a nice prospect. He's done some decent things in training camps. He is not ready for prime time. Uh, Nick Bosa eats a lot of people's lunch, but he really ate his lunch. And then for the next week's lunches as well during that game against San Francisco. Veld here came in and was able to do some solid stuff on turf against the Lions and then played well against Seattle. And they tested him right away. It was Jadeveon Clowney. That's not a slouch. That's a former number one overall pick across from him. So, Paul, I say all that stuff. I kind of, I guess, took everything you could say about him. But I say all that to say, first of all, how refreshing is it that the general manager is willing to make a move like that one? And second of all, is this somebody that you would potentially be comfortable with as the starting right tackle in 2020 if Brian Balaga is allowed to walk in free agency? Uh, first off, it's absolutely refreshing just the way Brian Gutekunst attacked free agency this offseason, uh, seeing his aggressiveness in the draft, moving up to get Darnell Savage, and then the midseason additions that he made, Valdir um, and then the other player that we'll get to, you know, they played huge roles in the you know final third of the season and into the playoffs. And also a refreshing part about Gutekunst is during his um, – exit interview or whatever you want to call it his press conference it was over half an hour he was over there up there for half an hour speaking to the media about the season that we just had and then looking ahead to the off season so everything about that's been refreshing um in terms of Veldir being the Packers uh starting right tackle as you said for the upcoming season for one season I would be comfortable um, he's a few years older than Balaga, so that's kind of where the issue in it lies for me is we're looking long-term. Balaga is about to turn 31, I believe, coming up this spring. So he's a few years younger than Valdir. Uh, Valdir is also just retired. We don't really know what his long-term plans are. But if we're just strictly looking at 2020 based off of what we saw against Detroit and Seattle, yeah, it would be comfortable. He had uh, over 55 pass-blocking snaps during that span. Didn't give up a single uh, quarterback hit, hurry, or sack. Wasn't even penalized when he was on the field. So he stepped in tremendously. And, you know, I know you have said this before, and I wholeheartedly agree. We don't. I don't know that they would have won either of those games without him if they did have to rely on Alex Light. Because as you mentioned, when we think Alex Light, we think back to Week 12 against the Niners and watching him get – worked by Nick Bosa, but he also played significant snaps in week four against Philly. And in 45 pass blocking snaps against Philly, he gave up eight pressures. Mm-hmm. That's a ridiculous rate. <laughs> yeah, and if I if memory serves, I think he was part of the, the pressure. Rodgers had a deep ball that would have been a touchdown or at minimum a significant play uh, to Marquez Valdez-Scantling. Now the smart mouth comment is, well, he would have under or overthrown him anyways, or Valdez Scantling wouldn't have caught it, whatever. Anyways, it was an opportunity for a big play. Light got beaten and ended up being a strip sack. That was a huge turning point in that game. I can envision that. I was at that game sitting in the opposite end zone, so going away. They were going, Packers were going away from us. Sure. I can still see that all unfolding in my memory. (laughs) Oh, my gosh. Yeah, so Alex Light's gone uh, as an option for that. I will say this. uh, When it comes to Veld here, Offensive line is not the position I think that you can afford to be trying to get by. Uh, If the Packers are quote unquote trying to get by, I want them trying to get by with Brian Balaga's health for a year or two and getting his replacement in the house develop very similarly to what they did with Mark Tauscher. And oddly enough, the first round pick was Brian Balaga. Uh, Balaga was actually picked probably with the left tackle position in mind, but nonetheless, he became the starting right tackle. He's been there for about 10 years. 
Jared Veld here. You mentioned unsung hero, good player over the course of this season. Over a larger sample size at his age, he's probably an average right tackle. Brian Balaga for 12 games or 14, you know, this year he was able to play. Uh, I think he ended up, I don't think he missed any games. He started all of them. He didn't finish all of them, but I believe he started all 16. So that's positive, obviously. Uh, He missed a playoff game with the flu, but that was kind of a fluky thing. No pun intended. Um, Gosh, it is the offseason, is it not? Uh, But anyways, Veld here is somebody who, over that larger sample size, is probably an average player. And Balaga had stretches this year where he was an all-pro. And as Aaron Rodgers starts to age uh, further and this team starts to be built more in Matt LaFleur's image, being strong up front. And, Paul, you've talked about it. Peter Bukowski wrote a story for Packer Report essentially saying, you know, the Packers have enough issues. They have enough holes that need to be filled. There's no need to create another one with the right tackle position. And I'm, I think Veld here is a, is a Band-Aid, and he's a nice Band-Aid, but I think the Packers should be aiming higher than Band-Aid. So I, for one, would not be comfortable with Veld here being the starting right tackle. Now, if they want to bring him back, uh, I am, I'm all for it. Uh, I think veteran depth is something, especially along the offensive line, you can never have too much of. So that was one. The other one, Swervin Irvin, man. It's, it's crazy to me how one player can make the special teams unit not feel like a complete tire fire. And the Packers special teams unit, when Irvin was claimed and became the starting returner, kickoff and punt, was on pace for negative yardage total in a punt return game. That seems almost impossible. Their longest punt return of the season going into the team's matchup on December 8th against Washington was three yards, and Tremont Smith fumbled on the play. So it was one of those, like, yeah, they made uh, – that was the play, but it was – it was a bad one at the same time. And I fumbled out of bounds, so we didn't lose the fumble. I guess that was the positive. And, Paul, we joked about this before, but I would have settled for competent when Irvin got signed. And by competent, I just meant can he make a fair catch and can he get the yards that was in front of him? Well, Irvin proved to be a little bit more than that. And by the end of the season, he was involved in the offense. And I think that that's something that could be exciting looking into 2020 is finding those more explosive play- – you know, the, the phrasing that – Nathaniel Hackett and Matt LaFleur have used almost exclusively with um, Irvin is that he has the juice and that's something that's evident. I mean, I remember Paul, I don't remember if you're at the Seahawks game or not, but they got the ball to him on a pitch and he got the ball and it was one foot in the ground and zoom like shot out of a cannon kind of speed. And that's stuff that can help this offense and it's stuff that can help in the return game. So tell me a little bit about, Irvin's impact and what your hope is for his role in 2020. Yeah. So just to knock on the special teams, unit a little bit more before he got here, that negative punts, they were at minus eight yards. And before Irvin's arrival, you know who the leading punt returner was for this team? Trevor Davis. Trevor Davis. Davis. Traded in week two or after week two, Trevor Davis. Oh, that's so bad. <laughs> Irvin's impact was, it was fantastic. I think his first game was against Washington and he comes out and has 51 punt return mm-hmm. return yards you know, as an 18 yarder, a 14 yarder, you know, Packer fans everywhere were fainting, ready to put up statues for him because it was just incredible compared I to still am. that we had seen up to that point. Um, but you can't overstate what he's done. And then like you said, the offensive element, um, 
he had the play against Seattle that you brought up, but also in week 17 against Detroit, he would have had a touchdown pass um, had he not been overthrown. So he's a free agent this upcoming year, and I think he's someone that the Packers should uh, strongly consider bringing back, not only for his special teams, but having a full offseason training camp preseason in Green Bay's offense with Matt LaFleur and how he can design up plays for him. You know, we saw a very small dose of what Matt LaFleur could do with Tyler Irvin in this offense, and he'll just add another element um, coming into this upcoming season. So he's a free agent, but I think he's someone, you know, not a must-re sign, but someone that I'd definitely like to see them bring back. Yeah, and you can re-sign him, and you don't have to guarantee him anything. I mean, that's kind of the... The, what I would like to see with a lot of Green Bay's free agent, well, not a lot, I shouldn't say that, but some of them, I mean, you can bring these guys back, and if you upgrade that position, if they draft, just for example, LaVisca Chenault, if they were to draft him, Chenault can step in and be their starting slot receiver next year, and he can return kickoffs and punts. He has experience doing both of those things. So that's something where, okay, if that pushes Irvin out the door, so be it. Or if they draft a receiver with some returnability, pushing Irvin there, and a running back, again, just throwing a name out there, like J.K. Dobbins, then it's going to be kind of hard for Irvin to be getting snaps in a backfield that includes Aaron Jones, Jamal Williams, and J.K. Dobbins. Again, just examples, just throwing names out there. I don't know anything. I don't pretend to know anything, all that kind of stuff. I'm not even necessarily promoting that I want those guys on that team necessarily, although I do. So (laughs) I guess that's different. But um, at any rate, those are the guys that you you can bring them back, but you don't have to guarantee them anything you know as far as a role goes and anything like that that's kind of where the conversation with Mercedes Lewis takes a bit of a turn for me personally because he's a guy that if you bring him back he's not coming back to be a cheerleader that's a veteran that's a respected vested veteran you probably have to guarantee him some sort of a role and I think that that role is something that you can upgrade from him on find somebody that can do a few more things now granted Mercedes Lewis is not going to cost anything in terms of money I just think that, you know, rather rather be a year too early, find somebody a little more uh, dynamic, if you will, if you can do that. But those are other topics for other days. Paul, the other thing I wanted to get into today is the season's over, and that usually causes a time for some sort of reflection, at least. And this season was special. I think that, you know, the way I said it as soon as the game ended was this was a special team. They just didn't have a special ending. And sometimes that happens. You know, the 2014 team is one that I thought was a special team and the ending just wasn't special. 2010 was a special team and they did have a special ending. So it does work in both directions that way, especially in a single elimination postseason tournament. So what I wanted to do is I just wanted to go through some of our favorites. Let's get some positives. There was plenty of negative coming out of the NFC championship game against the 49ers who appear to be awesome. Uh, obviously they're in the Super Bowl, but they have been a dominant team really from wire to wire this year. They're like four plays away from being undefeated this season. So that's insane to me. Um, but I think that nonetheless, I saw a lot of people buying into the the talking points that we fought so vehemently against for weeks as the Packers piled up wins, I saw people starting to buy into them. Well, I guess they were right. The Packers were a fraudulent 13 and three team. No, the 49ers are just better and it's okay for a team to be better. You know, the problem that green Bay has had in the tenure 
of Aaron Rodgers is it's it's very rare that you've ever the Packers have ever lost a playoff game with Aaron Rodgers as a starter and you said, well, Green Bay was the better team, but they lost. There's only one game that comes to mind for me like that, and that is the 2011 game against the New York Giants. And other than that, that's kind of the problem that they need to address going forward. So anyways, I, I just want to do some positive stuff. So we're going to pick some favorites here. For example, my mom's favorite child is my brother. And I'm he's the baby, and it's factual, and she refers to him as baby precious. So... There you go. If anybody here is listening to the show and you are the oldest child and have a younger sibling, you know the deal. The younger one's the favorite. That's how it is. So at any rate, Paul, I want to start with there were the Packers played in 18 games this season. If my math serves, I suppose you can pick the preseason if you want to. But I I got a hunch that you're not really going to be looking at preseason games as a favorite. So of all the games this season, what was your favorite one and why? Uh, I'm going with their game against the Oakland Raiders and not the preseason one, the regular season one. Um, reason I'm picking that one, we had a lot of close games this year that came down to the wire. For me, this was just one of the more fun ones. It was close going into half. Green Bay pulled away. We saw some you know, vintage Aaron Rodgers-type numbers, 429 yards, five touchdowns, perfect passer rating, big plays from Marquez Valdez-Scanling, Jake Kumro. Mm-hmm. Al Lazard, everyone on the offensive side of the ball um, was getting in on the action, and they cruised to an easy victory. So that one stands out for me just because it was probably the most, at least that comes to mind right away, the most stress-free, and also the offense was clicking, which is always just fun to see. That it is, and then they followed that up with a dud against the Chargers, and then, yeah, it was kind of an interesting transition uh, from there. But my favorite game... And Dallas is a close second yep, I because, that one close too. because I love beating up on the Cowboys. A lot of big plays in that game. Zadarius Smith mocking Ray Lewis. Zadarius Smith getting in Dak Prescott's face after he threw his third interception of the game. All that stuff was great. But there's no question. Week 16, U.S. Bank Stadium, a chance to close out the NFC North. Zadarius Smith crying after the game is over. The Packers struggle do almost anything they can to try and give the game to the Vikings early in the game, and the Vikings just refused to take it. Zadarius Smith was dominant. Aaron Jones with a ceiling touchdown run. Uh, I jumped up and down and tried really hard not to yell, but I did, and uh, woke up the baby, and that was the first time that had happened in quite some time for this season. So no question there for me. Beating the Vikings is always fun. Uh, winning in their stadium, you couldn't have picked a better time for your first win there and to continue to eat crow that I have, I picked the Vikings to win that game 27 to seven and they lost by 13 points. So I was off by, well, a lot. I'm not a mathematician, so we'll just say a lot and go from there. Individual moment. And this can mean, this is different from an individual play. Cause we're going to get to play here in a minute, but there's things that surround moments that can make plays different. For example, Adrian Amos's interception against the Chicago Bears, and I have a feeling that I might have just taken Paul's thunder from him, but that's something, for example, that can be a moment as opposed to just an individual play. Because there's some individual, for example, individual play, the Jamal Williams touchdown from Aaron Rodgers against the Kansas City Chiefs, where he kind of drops it in the bucket in the back of the end zone. That was cool, but the significance of the moment isn't necessarily there. 
So my favorite moment that comes in is actually against Seattle in the playoffs, and it's Preston Smith's sack because it's one of those plays I don't think it should get forgotten, and I don't think it has been forgotten, but I also don't think it's been talked about enough. Seattle was moving the ball at will in the second half. Green Bay's lead had been cut from 21 to 3 and 28 to 10 to 28 to 23. Seattle had the ball with a chance to take the lead. It was third down and medium, and Preston Smith's sack made it fourth and 11, which made Pete Carroll's decision in that point in the game a little more difficult, and it caused them to punt. And Green Bay, as as history will show, never gave the ball back. Uh, and that was something where the entire stadium went from oh, no, is this going to happen again against those guys to, okay, our guys got the ball, let's go win it kind of thing. Uh, and I thought that was really cool. Preston Smith is overshadowed a little bit uh, because the Super Smith brothers really, it feels like everybody loves Adarius Smith and for good reason. Uh, but Preston gets a little overshadowed, I think, because of that. So, Paul, I think I've talked long enough for people to forget what I just said. So what was your favorite moment of the season? Back in week one, Adrian Amos' interception of Mitch Trubisky in the end zone. So a couple reasons for this. One, it's Packers-Bears week one in Chicago. It's always going to be a big matchup. But as you all remember, haha, Clinton Dix is a Chicago Bear. Adrian Amos is now in Green Bay. A lot of talk over the summer and offseason about how he wasn't a playmaker. The Bears got the better player, the better deal. All the above is what the Bear fans had thought. So in a one-score game, Bears are moving the ball down the field, five minutes left or so in the game, and Trubisky heaves one to the end zone, and Aaron throws it, as oftentimes happens. <laughs> and who's there to pick it off? Adrian Amos. I cannot imagine how spectacular, how great that felt for him. In Soldier Field, essentially sealed the game. Uh, I loved it. It was fantastic. That it was. That was a fun night. That was a fun day in general. Um, just the whole lead up to that game and for Green Bay to not really be expected to win that game and then to win it. Really, I mean, we talked about that after that game ended. When was the last time the Packers had won a game that you were like, man, I don't think they can win that one? And then they did. They won in week one, and then they won a few more games like that throughout the course of this season. Now we're going to pick individual play. And my individual play is actually – it kind of ties into moment a little bit just because of what ensued afterwards, but it's Kevin King's interception against Minnesota the following week, week two. And the reason I say that is because that is the first time that the Packers did the D train in the end zone after a turnover. And that kind of became the theme of this defense the entire season. And it was a lot of fun. I think that it was nice to see the Packers defense have some swagger, have an identity to them. Now, eventually, yes, they did get ripped to pieces against the 49ers to end the season, but that was an attitude and a mentality and a mindset that this team has been missing for as long as I can remember. The defense's job or their mindset was really, okay, let's just do our part, and Aaron and the offense are going to do their thing. And now it really felt like, no, we are going to be the reason this team wins. And we're going to win the game ourselves because that way the offense doesn't have to do everything. And that was a nice thing. And it's Kirk Cousins. It's a leaping. And I I guess if I fell on one side or the other, I would be a Kevin King defender just because I think, 
I've said this a million times before. If his name was TJ Johnson and he played for Washington, nobody would care. But since his name is Watt and he went to Wisconsin, I get, I get it. And TJ is a great player and I wanted him too. But that being said, at the time, I fully understand why the Packers took a cornerback when they they were coming off a game where their starting number one cornerback was Ladarius Gunter. I completely understand why they went with Kevin King. That being said, that kind of made that a little bit sweeter. Picking cousins in the back of the end zone is always fun. Sealing a two and zero start in a division stretch where Paul, if you really looked at it, I mean, I think that at the beginning of the season, if you had told me green Bay was going to be Oh, two, I don't think we would have been like, Oh no, that's not happening. Like it was a realm of possibility for to start two and zero. really gave them a lot of added equity, banked wins, whatever you want to call them going throughout the course of the season. So mine's KK's pick. What do you got? Uh, I'm going back to something you had mentioned earlier. Of course. Aaron Jones run against the Vikings uh, in week 16. It sealed the game. It was also, if you recall, it was when Anthony Barr at the start of the game told Aaron Jones the lights were too bright for him. So Jones goes off for 150 plus yards, including that run to seal it. Um, had Elton Jenkins out there, great receivers blocking uh, in front of him. So, and just. You know, it ties into the moment a little bit because ultimately it led to the win at U.S. Bank and securing the NFC North. But that's my play of the year, my favorite play, Aaron Jones, Week 16, game-clinching, NFC North-clinching touchdown in Minnesota. That's right. I had forgotten that about the Anthony Barr thing, which is funny because well, it's Anthony Barr, who's not exactly a favorite in Packers circles uh, for certain reasons, I guess is what we're going to say. So. By the end of the year, you know, every year, I think for the last 10, everybody would say that their favorite player was Aaron Rodgers. Uh, This year for 2019, there's no question in my mind that's somebody different. And I think it's going to be the answer for that a lot of people have. Paul, I've I've said enough, so I'm going to let you answer this for both of us because we already said before the show how this was going to go. Our favorite player got to be Zadarius Smith. Um. For me, obviously, we know what he's brought on the field, the quarterback pressures, the sacks, the hits, all of that stuff. But a big part of who he is and what he's done for this team is the off the field. You know, he ever since his foot hit in Green Bay, once he got off that first flight, he has assumed that leadership role. Um, and, you know, to my knowledge, at least, I don't think he's been pressured or forced into that role. That's just who he is. He's helped been a part of the culture change which was needed as we all know it's been a little stagnant over the last few years just that infusion of energy uh like the d train the celebrations after sacks everyone just being you know this packers team looked like they were excited to go to 1265 lombardi every day and get to work and i think that he played a huge role in that so obviously we know about all the on-field stuff but the off the field plays such a huge role for me. I mean, just, I think it was yesterday I was scrolling through Twitter and he's uh, decorating a cake, you know, in a competition. And he's just, he's just hilarious. He's um, charismatic. You know, you just love to see him and be around him and stuff like that. So he's hands down my selection. Anything you need to add? No, I, I think you hit on it. Well, I think that replacing some of the leaders that have been in this locker room on the defensive side of the ball in recent years, Julius Peppers, Clay Matthews, Charles Woodson, that's not a an easy thing to do. And Z really – and, I mean, I don't think that's talked about enough, honest. Between Zadarius Smith and Matt LaFleur, the changing of a culture that was described as toxic several different times throughout the offseason. 
I mean, think about where we were this time a year ago. Matt LaFleur had just been hired. And granted, we're still getting the stupid Aaron Rodgers stories about his family and his preferences in terms of men or women. And I mean, just all kinds of weird, stupid stuff. But that being said, the football thing, there's not a whole lot there anymore. And it's because of the job that those guys did and changing the culture. And Darius Smith, I think, was number one about that. You know, when you sign a contract that pays you $66 million over four years, your highest paid and best players need to be the ones that are leaders. And if you go back to the 2010 Super Bowl team, you can see that. Aaron Rodgers, Charles Woodson, Donald Driver, players like that were the ones you constantly heard about in the locker room. And what do they have in common? Those are three of Green Bay's best players. Now, that's not the only reason they won, but that's one of the big reasons they were able to win that season. So, yeah, Z's been great. Uh, he's an easy guy to root for. Uh, I love that he's here in Green Bay and will be for the next three seasons and hopefully more uh, beyond that and hopefully a couple Super Bowl rings to go along with some of those accolades that he's sure to get here in the next few years. Paul, if people want to find you, follow your work, go through everything, you pretty much cover the entire internet in terms of the Packers, but where can they find you? Uh, you can find me on Twitter at Paul underscore Brettle, B-R-E-T-L. You can find my work at G-Said TV and at Dairyland Express, where we cover the Packers, Brewers, Bucks, and Badgers, all your Wisconsin teams. And where can we find pictures of the baby? TBD. March, right? Yeah, end of March. And right around, uh, I already mentioned this to you before, but right around Brewers opening day. That's right. Okay, so that'll be an interesting uh, dilemma. Not really. Um, anyways, uh, I'm Jacob Westendorf. You can follow me at Jacob Westendorf. I do some stuff for Dairyland, as Paul mentioned. You can find me at Packer Report every Wednesday on the Packer Day podcast with Maggie Loney and Nick Schmitz. Uh, and some real fun, exciting stuff coming. It's draft season, so that's going to be exciting to follow along. But thank you guys for indulging us in some of our positive nature today. We hope that that cheered you up and is getting you through the first of 32 Sundays without Packers football. After we get through today, it's down to 31. So one other thing I want to mention before we sign off, actually, Paul, is today is the anniversary of the Green Bay Packers winning Super Bowl 31. So it just hit me, and this is spontaneous, so I apologize. But, Paul, we're about the same age. So what is your lasting memory from Super Bowl 31? Uh, Not super vivid, but I know that we were – I still remember sitting at home. Uh, My parents had uh, people over and watching the game. And mine is – I remember it's my first memory as a football fan – uh, Brett Favre, I'm looking at it right now. It's right in front of me here. Brett Favre running around the Superdome with his helmet above his head after throwing a touchdown pass. And I also remember that my dad and my my little brother was like two or three or something like that at the time. And they were trying to give me a hard time and saying they were rooting for the Patriots uh, throughout the course of that game, which is funny because now everybody in my house hates the Patriots. So at any rate, That is the memory of today's Super Bowl 31. The Packers are forever the champions of that Super Bowl. Uh, So enjoy that. If you want to feel a little nostalgic today, follow the work, follow the podcast, give us reviews. We like those reviews to have five stars. And keep an eye out for us as this offseason hits. Again, we are 24-7, 365 every day, bringing you the best Packers coverage uh, here on the podcasting platform. So thank you guys for listening, of course. And as always, Go Pack Go!